Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And uh, Holly Jolly Christmas continues. I said it right this time. In the previous uh, episodes, I've said Holly Jollo Christmas, because the name of the genre is that they are Jollo films, but the plural is Jolly. So it makes more sense that it's a Holly Jolly Christmas. But I think you're just nitpicking. I don't think anybody really cares. <laughs> yeah, all two of our listeners. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> We're, of course, referring to uh, Colin and Portia, who have recently talked to us about how much they enjoy the show. So, uh, yeah. They gave us notes on how to improve it, but we have integrity, so we're ignoring them completely. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) No, they had some good suggestions. Um, Colin wanted to know more about our lives. How you been, Tim? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's you know, it's it's cold out. It's cold in here. Yeah. Colin, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> no, but anyway. <laughs> oh, I had um on Thanksgiving I had like this like mashed turnip stuff. I don't think I've ever had turnip before and it was really good. Cool. So that's that's something. It's a big moment in my life. Next time I go to the grocery store, maybe I'll mash up some turnips. Yeah, or buy a turnip and bring it home and mash it there. <laughs> you probably have to pay for all the ones you mash in the store. Yeah. But anyway, we're talking about the bird with the crystal plumage. Yep. Or as I pronounced it when I first read the title as a teenager, the bird with the crystal plumage. (laughs) Because it's foreign and exotic. (laughs) That sounds more French. Yeah, I don't, I didn't know, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I just, I, I never, I don't think somehow I had ever heard the word plumage, even though it's an English word. Um, so I just saw it. And was like, oh, it's like Mirage. We're talking about last month, right? Yeah. (laughs) No, like, like whatever, however many years ago that was. I don't know how old I was when I first heard of this movie. (laughs) It was many years before I actually saw it. Yeah, I've heard about this movie for, well, a while now. Since I've, I guess since I've gotten into like, uh, you know, Dario Argento and stuff. What was your first Argento? Um, probably Suspiria. Mine was Tenebrae. I was 16. Did it change your life? I th- It might have been the first Italian horror film I've, I ever saw. So, I, in a way, I watched it, and I, it kind of blew my mind. I was very excited about it, and I brought it over to uh, our friend Gavin's house. And I was like, you gotta watch this! And we watched it, and he was like, oh my god! Who is this guy? And, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember uh, my first. I don't remember the first time I watched Suspiria or any uh, Argento movie. Actually, one of the earliest memories is going into your basement 
um, back in one of your let's basement, not talk about this <laughs> back in one of your basement <laughs> parties. Um, and I can't remember if we watched Deep Red or you were just talking about it and singing that Deep Red song. Oh yeah, there's um. Now you know that you're dead. Uh, yeah, there was a, a CD. I think it was just called. It was called like Dario Argento's horror movies by Claudio Simonetti. Even though, maybe half the scores on there weren't from Argento movies. And it just had like different remixes of music he'd done for Argento movies for the most part. And then there was a. There was a deep red version that had uh just somebody rapping horribly over it (laughs) see and and that was a long time ago and then i guess years later when i got around to rewatching deep red and i uh got the soundtrack i was disappointed that that song wasn't (laughs) on it because i was like there's this really goofy song that's for some reason part on the soundtrack but uh okay so that clears it up it's a remix yeah i spoke briefly about the time that I went to CultCon 2000 hoping to see Goblin mm-hmm. and uh, Claudio Simonetti was there with his new band and he um, he did like you know they had like a Q&A and um, he mentioned how like there were a lot of different like international albums of his music that he didn't approve of and he was very upset that they existed and and then of course I just like walk right up to him with that CD and wanting him to sign it <laughs> And he, you could tell by his face, he's like, oh, one of these things. He signed it, though. And so, Do you still so, have it? Yeah, I have that, yeah. Um, Do you wish that you had something else for him to sign? Yeah. And I wish that, um, who was it? Roger Deodato was there, who did uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Um, and I had, the only movie of his that I'd seen at that point was something that they'd shown at the festival, um, The House on the Edge of the Park, uh, which is kind of a silly bad movie <laughs> and it was, it was it was awkward like going up to him and getting his autograph because i just had like oh here's a flyer for this convention <laughs> he signed it yeah and he, he was like clearly not like speaking english um and i was like oh this is awkward i don't speak italian he doesn't speak english and then later i saw him in a q a um and he did speak english he just didn't want to speak english to me Maybe he, how long ago, I mean, how long after your initial meeting was your I don't remember. It was a three-day convention, so maybe in, like, the two-day interim, he learned some stuff. Oh, it was, so it wasn't years later. It was no, like, no, it was, three, it was yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> it was all the same thing. Um, who else was there? Lamberto Bava was there, son of Mario, but he didn't... Has he made films or... Uh, he did the, the first two Demons movies. Oh. Well, okay. which are the only ones called Demons, really. The other ones are all kind of fake sequels. Um, he just did a movie a few years ago, Ghost Son, I think. And his son is now working in film. So that's like... the. It, <clears throat> um, there's a lot of nepotism in the Italian film industry. So you've got like Eugenio Bava... And then his son, Mario Bava. And then his son, Lamberto Bava. And then his son, whatever the hell his son's name is. He's doing movies now. I don't think he's directing, but he's doing something. Mm. And then Dario Argento. You have um, 
his father, Salvatore Argento, who produced Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And then there's his brother, Claudio Argento, who worked with him as a producer on later films. And of course, his daughter, Ozzy Argento, is a fine director in her own right. And um, I actually haven't seen any films that she's uh, directed. I like Scarlet Diva. That's the only one I've seen, actually. Um, And she did a Marilyn Manson video. I think she did Coma White, which I don't remember. (laughs) But she did... um, the the film uh, the heart is deceitful above all things, which I have not seen. I've heard good things about it though. Yeah, so the bird with the crystal plumage. You you had mentioned um, last week when we were talking about the girl who knew too much. About like you know, uh, the man who knew too much, the Hitchcock film, and then who shows up. In Bird with a Crystal Plumage, but um, Reggie Nalder, the assassin. Oh, that's that, why I recognized him. With the yellow jacket. Oh, yeah. shit. See, I, I saw him and I was like, that guy has such a distinctive face. Like, why do I know him? He was also in Zoltan, Hound of Dracula. Oh, really? Yeah. Who did he play in Zoltan? Was he Zoltan? Yes, he was the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was the, uh, whatever that guy, like... I don't know what you call it. He was like his Zoltan's like slave guy who helped him out. <laughs> Zoltan's slave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, so in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, um, he's the, the guy with the gun with the silencer wearing the yellow jacket. Yeah, and um, for like, those who don't know, you haven't seen The Man Who Knew Too Much. But I knew I recognized him from something that makes... Now, yeah, of course, yeah. he's the... And he's got that gun with the silencer. Yeah. Just like, and he's got... It's like... Yeah. So that's yeah, that's really cool. A little more Hitchcock connection. He's got there. such a such a creepy look to him. He's a very scary looking guy. Kind of makes me uh, sad, like when because like, there's people like that who are just like, oh, that that guy's got such a creepy face. <laughs> but for all you know, he's like a great guy. Like, um, well, yeah, I mean, like uh, Skelton Nags. You remember him? Uh, he was like, he, oh, who is he? In House of Dracula, he's the guy who's like, Dr. Edelman killed my brother. He's got that really weird, like, patchy... He was in some Val Luton movies, too. And, um... I don't know. I was just... When I see, like, character actors with such distinct features, it sometimes just makes me feel bad. Yeah, I mean... But it's all how you... You know, I mean, when you act, like, you transform your... Your your face into, like, you know, I'm gonna look scary... Like, anyone can look scary, you know? But some people just have this, like, really kind of, I don't know, unique look about them that, and when they really get into it, like, they can really transform themselves into this scary-looking person. Um, I guess some people don't have to try that hard. Um, In Salem's Lot, he plays Mr. Barlow. Oh yeah, and he—they um, do put a little makeup on him. They make him look like Nosferatu, so. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I mean, it reminds me of um, Marty Feldman. Yeah. From the uh, Gene Wilder <clears throat> films, like Young Frankenstein. He's. Uh, you know, he's got the the. The eye. The eye, that lazy eye. Um, and just an interestingly shaped head. And I mean, you know, he 
looks creepy, but I mean, he, you know, he uses it to his comedic advantage. Yeah. So it's like everybody, you know, looks different and everybody uses what they got. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you got it, flaunt it, baby. <laughs> you flaunt right. that lazy eye. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting uh, Hitchcock connection there. Hmm. There were a few connections to uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Yeah. In uh, Plumage, as <laughs> we'll refer to it now. All right. <laughs> or Plumage, <laughs> as we should say. Um, such as, and you kind of mentioned it uh, last week, like how a lot of films in the Jalo genre um, kind of tend to focus on a character who's out of their they're out and abroad in a different country yeah um but this uh in plumage features again a an american <laughs> visiting um italy yeah and it also has the um the murder that well attempted murder this one that takes place early on where um you're not quite sure what you've seen right which um owes a lot to uh blow up the Antonioni film, which mm-hmm. is sometimes uh, labeled as a giallo, uh, which is debatable. Because, hmm. um, I mean, in that one, you know, like someone, well, David Hemmings, who would go on to be in Deep Red later, you know, like he sees something, he's not sure what he's seen, he investigates further, he's pretty sure he's seen a murder, and he's pretty sure there's a body, and it's just, it's like plaguing his mind. And then in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, you know... The Plumage. Whole, sure. Um, our character in this film is just like, something was wrong. What? Something's missing from my memory. Yeah. What didn't yeah. I see? And then later in Deep Red, Argento kind of does that again. Um, so, All these flashbacks that we're seeing of what Sam witnessed, hmm. the original attempted murder... And we keep flashing back and he's saying, there's something here that I'm missing. What am I not remembering? What am I, you know, there's something weird here. What is it? And then we find out that it was the, uh, it was Monica who was holding the knife. Right. Um, now I haven't gone back and watched the movie again, but is she holding the knife? Like throughout all those times that we're seeing the, that footage over and over again? I don't believe it shows the knife, like, in anyone's hand. I have... I've seen it several times, and for some reason I haven't just gone back... Or, like, paid super attention when it shows it. But mostly because... I'm always way too distracted by the expression on her face. In that... In the first scene, when he he actually, like, witnesses... Like, not as a memory, he's actually witnessing it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it shows, like, her face, and she just, she doesn't look scared. She looks just, like, diabolical. And, like, maybe it's just, like, coming from, like, kind of knowing right. where pro- it's going. Right, you're almost projecting that on. But I just, like, that just always bugs me. Um, I, so then it always, like, my mind forgets to look for the knife. Because I, re- I like, I love the idea of being, like, you know, because... It left me wanting to know because he like we're seeing it over and over again throughout yeah. the movie, and he's saying like there's something here, what's the, there's something wrong with this picture? What's wrong? It's almost like you know those little 
puzzles that are like, you know, can you spot the difference between these two, yeah. you know, or like, can you spot the thing that's out of place here? And uh, when, I, when I watched Deep Red, like as soon as that was over, I immediately rewound it and went to the, like the early scene and it, it did matter. Like, I don't want to say anything. Yeah, I haven't no, seen it because it's a well, great yeah. surprise. But like it does work. With and that. It's, it's cool to be like, to, I mean, I, I'm I want to go back and, and see that the, the scene in plumage again um, to see if she actually is holding the knife because should I do it right now? We'll just see. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, if you want to put it in, because I mean, I I think that's just like it's something that I I didn't notice, and I was looking because I it left me wanting to know like you know what what is what is wrong with this uh, with this image. Yeah, we just actually popped in the movie and we watched the initial scene where Sam witnesses the attempted murder to see who was holding the knife. And you don't actually see it in that first scene. It's framed really cleverly. So. Yeah, where you can't see who's holding the knife at all. Um, there's like this uh, curtain, this half curtain up at the top of the window that's sort of blocking their hands they're raised above their heads but yeah so you don't see it kind of disappointed actually i was i was hoping to see it and be like oh yeah she is holding the knife but i guess that would seeing it like that like it might give it away you know yeah then we would know right off the bat and then we just gotta follow this guy as he figures it and it it, it might still be entertaining but it would be very frustrating (laughs) but i mean like i was hoping to to go back and watch it and be like oh yeah she is holding the knife like how did i not notice that before but it's still plausible that he saw even though the audience didn't because he could have seen that when it cuts to his reaction shots and like right and it's not always like the perfect angle. Well, we're not always seeing like just his angle of it anyway. We're not seeing his. POV at one point, exactly. we cut to like the other, uh, like across the axis or whatever, like the 180 degree. Like we're on the other side of the. We're inside the, attack. the uh, yeah of the of the room. We're like right up in her face. We've got this like really close up in her face with the knife, um, kind of sticking upwards, with no hands in the shot. Yeah, so we don't see who's holding the knife, but she's sort of like leering at uh at her husband Hmm. um presumably like holding the knife like a maniac Um, and he's wearing his black gloves because it's an argento film and like a lot of giallo have the black uh the black gloves yeah it's funny how like you could almost look at all of argento's movies as being like the killer is like the same in all of his movies. Well, the hands are always Argento's hands. Are they really? In all of his movies, yeah. It's possible... The one scene when... um, In Bird of the Crystal Plumage, when um, one of the characters, I'm assuming in this scene it's the husband, goes into the, um, the phone booth. I think you can very briefly see a reflection in like the glass or something you can't make out who it is or anything but um they probably just had like one of the actors 
do that. But whenever it's just just hands in the shot with black gloves, like throughout his filmography, it's Argento's own hands. So he was the killer. All He's along. the killer. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, if you just cut out like all of the, the you know, the reveals of who the killer actually is at the end, yeah. um, it, it would be the the same killer in all of his movies. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Dario. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, with um the the blow up connection, the uh, crystal plumage also has this photography element, which is isn't really like fully explored in the movie, hmm. but um. The first, or the opening shots of the movie are like through uh, a camera yeah. lens with photos being taken, and um, it happens again a few times where the killer is stalking, you know, uh, his victims or his or her victims, I should say. <laughs> they do. Um, I love how like throughout the movie they always like the police, everyone. They keep saying like, like who is he? This killer, he's gonna kill again. We have to look for who he is, and like, they just—they don't even think of it. And they, it keeps like dropping weird like clues. Like he, uh, Susie Kendall, is like this like a suspect almost because there's this all these weird points where she like his his girlfriend, um, like that just be like a like a zoom in to like her face just looking like suspicious or something and. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where the cop is like, you look familiar. Do I know you from somewhere? Yeah, and she's just yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It doesn't, so, really, I mean, that doesn't really go anywhere, but it just, it it's does. It's planted like, there to kind of like, you know, makes you uneasy. make you think like, is, you know, who exactly is. It could be anybody. Yeah. And obviously there's um, his friend, Carl, I think his name was. Who towards the uh, in the last scene you think like oh it was it oh wait no right <laughs> which is similar to in the girl who knew too much where you see the husband sitting in the chair yeah so and then the he same falls kind of forward thing. yeah yeah it's and the then it's like, with a oh, knife in the back yeah this woman um definitely owes a lot to Baba as do you know most of the films in this style yeah I also thought it was interesting because um. The police grill uh, the the witness, our main character. What's it, what was his name? I can't remember. Oh, man. It's awful when it's just like, how can I not remember? I just saw this movie, like, today. And uh, the the name just flies right out, right out the window. Sam. Sam. That's right. It was Sam. Sam Dalmas. <laughs> Really, I, I should prepare before we even start <laughs> recording, kind of just like, you know, glance over the IMDb page, refresh my memory on certain things. But anyway, so when Sam, like the, the police are grilling Sam quite a bit, like asking him, like, you know, what do you remember? Like, you remember something. And we never actually see, we we never hear uh, the, the victim, um, yeah. her perspective on what the events were. <clears throat> Oh, there's a little bit when he goes to visit, uh, when Sam goes to visit her at the art gallery, when she's sort of recovered, and she's kind of just like, oh, thanks for, you know, for your help. Like, if you hadn't been there, like, I would have died. And her husband kind of shushes her up and takes her away. Yeah, and so, but, like, 
you know, I'm thinking like, you know, the first person you go to to try to figure out who did it is like the person who was actually like standing there face to face with this person and survived. Yeah. But we never actually do that. So, I mean, the thought had definitely crossed my mind, like, you know, maybe it was her, but it, the, the, the movie did a good job of making it not seem like a real possibility, I guess. Especially when you start to hear like the phone calls and it's like a, a male's voice or mm. a male sounding voice. Um, which is very confusing for me the first time I saw it because I didn't get the connection of like wait Reggie Nalder's character who the hell was that he's not the killer he's this other guy I knew there were like, he was with another guy because there's two guys in the car that run over the cop and then he like as he, when he gets out of the car he says like I'll be right back or whatever he says to him um, yeah but well, then I guess, it was like, just confused when it's kind of just like later. he was just hired to yeah. kill Sam and the driver probably wasn't even like, you know, the, uh, the husband, the husband or the wife or whoever, you know, yeah. it was just somebody else, you know, somebody, one of his guys. Yeah. His well, it's the, I mean, the wife, she's clearly just insane and she wouldn't, I don't know, like the, the husband, yes, he has people killed but he's rational about it he's clearly he's doing it to protect his wife right and um would you do that if 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 you if you were married and your wife was killing people would you uh would you have other people killed to protect her i don't think so no (laughs) oh okay well i guess you just you know are heartless um that's not what love is max yeah, I, you protect I mean, your damn wife. I can't think of <laughs> any real situations where I would think that it was a good idea to have people killed. But um, there's reasons. Know. And I mean, and if if you discover that like your your wife or husband or significant other is like presumably secretly a serial killer secretly yeah. killing people then it's like you never actually knew that person to begin with like well she's discovered snapped though because she saw that uh the right painting. and with her it is and she had been she is like she was the victim yeah. she was victimized like 10 years earlier right and um she's kind of like is yeah don't fall into that trap of just being like oh she kills someone therefore she's a villain <laughs> i mean everybody has their reasons <laughs> Yeah, hers aren't necessarily <laughs> the best reasons. <laughs> um, she's not really justified in any way, I don't think. Are okay, you... yeah, no, I'm not going to say, like, yeah, those girls <laughs> deserve to die. Um, but, I mean, you know, like, he was just being a good husband. He had her back. <laughs> so, okay, so which deaths would be contributed to... or? attributed to uh to the husband presumably the first i think he was driving the car with the hitman okay i i think that he ran over that cop so it's like all the girls were killed by the wife yeah and basically and i think he tried to kill sam when he was like right i think he was the one following him through the Mm -hmm. the foggy streets of rome because it it, it makes sense (laughs) because that moment like it felt different 
yeah. felt different than like the other the other killings. Felt like it, it's a different mo. You know, it's a different mm. behavior. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's really smart the way that the movie is. Like, all the clues are there for you to kind of put it together. Yeah. Um, I, I think he was also the one trying to get at um, the girlfriend when she was alone in the apartment. Also. Hmm. But that, I mean, it, it could have been the wife. But I mean, I, I really think, or no, because I think it, that was like the wife's murders. It was pretty much like she just like finds these women. Yeah, she was stalking them. Like, and but this one, it's like, oh, I'm gonna go much for more calculated. This was this was sloppy and messy and just kind of like, and it was gonna like, break I'm gonna store. get her because that will stop the investigation. Right. This will stop this. This will make so, this guy leave. You know. Yeah. I'll try to scare him to go home. And there, I, one of the, this is a really good movie. Um, it's not flawless. Well, like, no film is, really. But, like, there's one frustrating moment when um, the girlfriend goes to uh, stab the intruder, like, through the door. Mm-hmm. Like, in the eye? Yeah. The hole. And, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, she should have actually stabbed him in the eye, but, like, just the way it's shot, it could have... In later Argento films, it would have been, like, a much more, like, stylized. Okay, yeah. It just seemed very straightforward, like, oh, she goes for it, and mm-hmm. she doesn't stab him. But, like, like when I think of, uh, like, in Terror at the... Or, well, not Terror at the Opera. In America, it was Terror at the Opera, but Opera is what it's called now, pretty much. Um, there's a scene where somebody is shot in the eye. Have you seen that? This is his Phantom of the Opera film? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, This is, this is just opera from the eighties. And then in the nineties, that was his Phantom of the Opera. It was called Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, this is in the late eighties. He did one just called Opera. Because I've seen his Phantom of the Opera movie. I'm sorry. So have I. Um, but Very strange. Uh, someone looks through, um, a keyhole or a peep, a keyhole, I think. And then there's a gun on the other side and they just fire a bullet through the hole right into the eye. And it's like this big thing where it's like the bullet moves in slow motion and it's like a giant eye exploding and like, Hmm. and like, so looking like seeing like the later films first and going back to the, the, his first film, like I can see where like, Oh, he would have not to imply that like, Oh, he always got better as he went along. As anybody who's seen any of his films of the past... Uh, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Sleepless, it was pretty good. I haven't seen it. Yeah. But that that was like 13 years ago. I think the latest one that I saw is uh, Jennifer from the Masters of oh, Horror Oh, that's right. Series. Yeah, I saw, I saw his um, Masters of Horror episodes, uh, Jennifer and Pelts. Oh, right, Pelts. Yep, that yeah. was... Okay. Which I... They didn't seem like Argento films, no. But very, they, I enjoyed yeah. both of them, and I think that's that might be a, a problem with a lot of people when they go into Argento films, expecting like yeah, you you want you know, like all the stylized, Suspiria, like, I want, you know that yeah. Um, and it's you know it's it's not fair to kind of expect someone to stay the same mm-hmm. throughout their entire life. Um, but I mean, when he you know I mean he made a name for himself like with those that kind of film yeah over the course of you know about 20 years um so it's not an entirely you know unjustified feeling of disappointment you know 
Um, <clears throat> there was a scene in the plumage, which uh, made me think of Jennifer. Um, where, which I haven't seen Jennifer in a while, so I'm not even sure if I'm remembering the scene correctly. I I, I don't even remember the plot really um, that well. Stephen Weber is having sex with his wife, and he keeps thinking of Jennifer. And as he's thinking of it, like the sex gets more intense with his wife, like as it and it cuts to like what he's thinking of. And then like in in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, Sam is. Uh, like in bed with his girlfriend and they're like about to have sex and it keeps cutting to like the the crime that he witnessed which was just a couple hours ago mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem to have that much effect uh, he's like they have sex anyway it like, like it intercuts a few times with him thinking about that and then like he starts like making out with her and then it cuts to like oh clearly they're done now and they're very refreshed from this experience but he was thinking about this murder the entire time <laughs> Yeah, but it's, I mean that's invigorating. You're like a life and death situation because he he didn't when he was stuck within those doors. Uh, he didn't know maybe the killer would come for him then or something. And and the killer is the one who did trap him there. Yeah, we see the shot of him pushing the the button, making the doors close. Um, well, not the killer, the killer, but the killer. Right. Yeah, the black gloves. And that's a great. Um, idea that whole sequence where he's just he's trapped there and he has to look yeah watch this person die basically. which comes back again in in the movie opera um the killer uh restrains the lead character of the film and uh tapes needles under her eyes so she can't blink and he forces her to watch him kill people that's horrible yeah <laughs> Um. Yeah, not as uh, <laughs> depraved as that. But still, image. being he can't. But really yeah, it's, uh, look it's away. He's mm-hmm. stuck there. Um, yeah, it's it's um very impressive for a first film. Definitely, so. I mean, uh, yeah, as a directorial debut, it's yeah. uh, very impressive, and it's it's interesting to see just like how right from the beginning there are so many of the classic. Argento elements like already in play like the beautiful architecture of the locations that they were shooting in like like that art gallery location just yeah. like it just has this I don't know this very Argento quality to it and the um, camera just crawls all over the buildings which mm-hmm. kind of reaches its peak with Tenebrae, Tenebrae yeah. in that one shot when it just goes over for I'm not sure why <laughs> he said that it was to give like a sense of dread like oh like clearly like there's nowhere safe in this building because the killer can see you from anywhere but I don't think it really comes off you're just sitting there watching it like is he seriously going to keep this shot going for the whole he is wow I don't know that's yeah <laughs> It's a shot that's like looking in different windows all around this house. Yeah. Um, with the great music going. Yeah, with the. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Um, and it just goes on and on and on as we're like craning around this, uh, this house. And then in Plumage, there's that shot at the end when it kind of. it After the husband dies. And, like, Sam kind of wanders off, and it's like, 
wait, the movie kind of just ended, but it's still going. Where are the characters? It has like this uneasy mm-hmm. quality to it because it's like it should be wrapping up, but why did those characters run off earlier? And, right, like, and I mean, and it's definitely it's it, that's really it's cool because it's like we see this person like confess to the murder. Yeah, it's like you know, but knowing like later films like like Tenebre, um, we know that like there's that's actually not who the the true killer is yeah. at least i i knew that there was more to it and it, all roads lead to uh to to carl mm-hmm. who is like you know conveniently like come on girls come with me you know? <laughs> <laughs> back to my uh you know back to my place where i'm gonna kill you but like he's wandering around looking for his girlfriend and like the camera just kind of like lifts up over the city yeah and it's like and it's just like where the hell could she be and i think it's just so amazing that he's able to run into like just the right people who are like oh yeah i did see a woman with blonde hair go that way Mm -hmm. and like and it goes like it gets darker like like, he's been walking around for like god knows how long yeah still people are like oh i remember her Mm -hmm. so yeah (laughs) there's a little um Fritz Lang influence as well. And that's another director that Argento would always mention in addition to uh, Hitchcock as like his big influences. And like with the whole, when it goes into uh, the technology of the police and the whole fingerprinting thing. Yeah. that <laughs> Which none of that comes to anything. I love it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's like, we'll use this compu- advanced computer system to input all the different elements and it will tell us what our killer is. And it's, it turns out to be completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Um, but I was wondering, like, did in the 70s, did they even have, like, com- a computer system like that? With, I mean, probably not. Where you have, like, this printer and it's going to print out, like, you know, like a sketch of who the killer is based on, you know, the victims and the... I don't... I mean, it might have been something they discussed having in the future. And, like... Um... Again, referring to Tenebrae, um, like Argento had said that that film, um, he wanted it to take place, I think, like four years in the future. Hmm. Like, just like a brief, like, he, like slight, not futuristic, right. but just give the idea of like, this isn't happening today, it's happening tomorrow. And like, that might like tie into that. Like, it's, we're on the way there. We could have this technology. Yeah. yeah. But it is funny. These big computers that take up in a whole whole room and everything. (laughs) There are a few scenes where we're like, we find ourselves back in like the lab basically. And they're like, we tried listening to all these different sounds and none of them were the creaking sound. Like, (laughs) you know, they show like, this is the recording and this is this one. And, uh, can you hear a difference? (laughs) Or no, that, yeah, it's really funny the way that it is. Cause it's like, now watch the oscilloscope on this recording. And it's like, you know, wavy line. Now watch it on this one. And <laughs> the wavy line is like, did you notice anything different? And Sam is like, yeah, the wavy line was different on this one than it is on that one. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, that's absolutely right. We should hire you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it just looks the same. But uh, yeah, that was really funny. I liked in the, um, the lineup. Oh, Ursula Andress. <laughs> like, what like, the hell? The, the movie has this very strange sense of humor. Yeah. Where, like, every once in a while, like, there's just this random, like, injection of 
bizarre. They're like, all right, bring out the perverts. It's like, this is this is our pervert lineup, you know. It's a long shot, but, hey, you know, they're perverts, so it could be one of these guys. <laughs> Ursula Andrus doesn't belong with the perverts. Ursula Andrus <laughs> belongs with the transvestites. Thank you. Or what did she say? <laughs> yeah. She says, um... Something along those lines. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, that's pretty forward-thinking to put a distinction between pervert and transvestite in that time. I don't... And there's the homosexual character also. Yeah, who's following. Well, the, uh, two really, because one of the victims apparently uh, is a was, lesbian. Yeah, and the um, the art dealer is uh, is gay, and Sam is very uncomfortable about that. Well, I mean, he's like really, he's like a caricature of yeah. like a gay person where it's like oh you're a man like i'm gonna <laughs> stand like you know two inches in front of your face and isn't this nice but it's weird because it's not like it's not like a caricature in the way of like oh my god this is a deviant it's a character in the way of like oh what a nice cuddly queer i don't know mm-hmm. like <laughs> and there's uh there's a lot of homosexual characters throughout argento there's the lesbians in Tenebre. Which we will just... Keep referring Let's to. Let's just talk about Tenebrae. Tenebrae. <laughs> yeah. uh, such a great movie. Um, also had John Saxon from The Candy Too Much. <laughs> That's right. That, yeah. yeah. So how about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, like the best friend in Deep Red, uh, Carlo, is gay. Um, and let's see there's a gay character in Four Flies on Grey Velvet which oh that reminds me this is the first of the animal trilogy Argento's animal yeah Argento's animal trilogy there's the bird with the crystal plumage followed by cat and nine tails followed by Four Flies on Grey Velvet and this film is what led to many jolly uh, having random animal names and this title, the title for this film, um, do you feel that it works as a title? I mean, it does. There is a bird with crystal plumage, right? Somewhat. That's like a big clue. Yeah, it's kind of. It makes, it's like the clue that leads to the whole. It's it, it appears in one shot of the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like the, it's a bit of a stretch in some other films. Cat and Nine Tails. It's um. One of the characters, uh, like, they're, they're thinking about all the clues uh, for, like, the big mystery of the film. And he's like, hmm, it's like a cat with nine tails. And he listed, like, nine clues. And that that's the cat of nine tails. Oh, okay. Four Flies on Grey Velvet makes a little bit more sense, even though it's a little, a little far-fetched. I think, the, I think the bird of the crystal plumage works as a title. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely it, less ridiculous than other later films. It's, uh, it sounds like a mystery title. Like it sounds like the, yeah. the title of like a book or something that you'd read. Yeah. That like, and even if this plot was the same, um, and the the bird played the same role, mm. like I feel like you wouldn't question it if it was a book so much. Yeah. Well, the book um, that is loosely based on is called The Screaming Mimi. The Screaming Mimi. The Screaming Mimi, and it was made into a film in the fifties. Which I have not seen. I'd love to see uh, an American film. Was that called The Screaming Mimi? It was called The Screaming Mimi. It had Anita Ekberg in it. Gerd Oswald directed it, who went on to do uh, 
the outer limits in the 60s. Now, is a Mimi a bird, chance? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know what a, a screaming Mimi is. Because it sounds to me like, you know, it would be like a bird, like, you know, a So bird that could call. be, that could be that. And that could be why they call this the bird with the crystal plumage. And then it led to all these other Jalo films with animal titles that such, don't make such sense. Such as? Uh, you know, there's several. Don't Torture a Duckling, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Those are both Lucio Fulci films. Uh, the Black Belly of the Tarantula, Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye, Crimes of the Black Cat. There's and, and others. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly they were just kind of like... Iguana with a Tongue of Fire. Which I haven't seen that one. <laughs> um, so maybe that one's just actually an, an iguana. But mostly they're fire. they're arbitrarily, cool. yeah, titled. Um, I mean they gave the bird some weight in this movie, though. Yeah, you know they gave it, like you said, like they gave it. It's there's a nice shot of it, and it's like in the moment where we realize the you know the connection to the apartment. Um, So, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I think the title works. It also kind of makes sense, like, you know, a, I feel like bird is some sometimes used as, like, a term for, like, a girl. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of a sentence that would make sense. Um, but I feel like I've heard, like, you know, like, oh, she's a fine bird. Or a bird a little birdie you know as like a bird being like a girl yeah and that's another um um Hitch- so, hitchcock thing where like marion crane in psycho hmm. it was supposed to be like oh norman bates is really into like stuffed birds right, and right. dead birds and then crane shows up and a crane is a kind of bird and she's a bird because she's a girl but, um so you could say that the 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 uh the the true killer and you know the girl the i can i can't remember her character's name but you know she could be the bird with the crystal plumage um because you think of a of a woman as being like you know soft like feathers are soft on a bird but if a bird had hard crystal plumage that were sharp and could cut like a knife then maybe she is the bird with the crystal plumage Monica. Monica. Monica yes. Ranieri. And um, Alberto Ranieri. Alberto. Monica and Alberto. Did you notice the uh, the J and B? The letters J and B? The whiskey. J and B. It's a kind of whiskey. Um, the more Jalo films one watches the more you'll notice that in almost all of them, there's a bottle of J&B whiskey. It's just somewhere in it. And in Sam's apartment, or that they were renting, there's the drinking... Nice apartment. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a black power poster on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, randomly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two white people in Italy with a black power But, you know, whatever. Yeah, black power. Um... So there's a J and B whiskey bottle in the in the apartment. Yeah, and they're um, 
what's it, the friend's name? Carl? Is that yeah? He's, so. drink, he's drinking from that when they when he's listening to, when he hears that tape and he's like, oh, I'll take this tape. Or and he's smoking his cigar. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it shows up in a lot of a lot of movies in the seventies. Just random J and B. Um, which I'm pretty sure is why it shows up in John Carpenter's The Thing. It might have been like a little shout out because Kurt Russell's character has a bottle of J&B next to him. Is it a real brand? Yep. Okay. Which I didn't even, I always saw it in movies and then, well, I watched a lot of these before I started like going to bars and stuff. And then I would just like see it behind the bar and be like, oh, that's like, is that Italian? And it's like, no, it's American. (laughs) They have it at Wallabies. <laughs> like, so, what do you have? You're like, oh, is that Italian whiskey? Uh, That's good. Fuck Irish. <laughs> Italian whiskey is where it's at. Like, uh, no. Why do you think this is Italian? <laughs> it's got a yellow label. It's got a Jollo label. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, didn't. I didn't notice that. Uh, Probably because I, you know, didn't I didn't, think to look I didn't know that there was a connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Once you know about it, you're gonna see it. Everywhere. Well, now, Anytime now I'll have my eyes. There, it's all over. Uh, poor guy, ate cat. Yeah, that was. Uh, that's another example <laughs> of like the strange sense of humor that the movie has. And that scene doesn't amount to like anything really it just gets him out of town so that his girlfriend can be attacked when she's alone yeah like there's literally nothing that he discovers there nothing that he like you know well he learns that the painting was based on a true incident right i guess that that is the one bit of information but like he doesn't even say that later anyway he doesn't even realize that that's like he doesn't even acknowledge that he just kind of says it in passing and he's just like you know Mm. you know it's not like oh thank you you've been a big help and like um, which is fine. It doesn't have to be like that. It was a fun. It was a fun scene. I mean, yeah. It's just a shame that cats had to die. Yeah, it, it was funny because like he talks about cats early on. He's like, "Oh, there's cats around," and then it's like the cat's trying to escape. And I'm thinking like, "Wow, he's very like you know, what's a, what's up with the, he's very protective of these cats or something." But then you see him like. Holding it like, wow, these little things are, they're always trying to get away. I'm like, well, what's the point of even having a cat if you're going to treat it like that? <laughs> and it's like, back into the cage. I'm like, why does he have all these, oh, <laughs> oh no. Fatten them up. Why do you want to fatten them up? I've never eaten cat, haven't you? <laughs> or whatever he said, it's like, yeah, yeah. he looks at the plate and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> he doesn't say that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Well, like he's, just, he's just—he's just like, oh, oh, <laughs> or no, he says no, because then he's then he's trying to haggle the price. He yeah. thinks he's haggling the price. He's like, no, two hundred thousand. No, okay, one fifty. <laughs> Which I—I I don't know. That's another odd thing about um, some of these films. I—I I know nothing about um, Italian money. So when I hear them say, yeah, like, like, oh, I give me 200000 yeah. and he just hands it to him or whatever. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very different from... Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, there's another thing that kind of doesn't really, like... Well, like, I guess it does kind of play out a little bit. When Sam hires that guy to get information about the yellow-jacketed yeah. killer, 
yeah, in that scene when they start talking about money, he's like, hundred. And he's like, what? Thousand. Oh, hundred thousand. And then he, then he goes and gets the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know anything about Italian currency or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> so at first I thought he's like, you know, he's asking for a hundred thousand you know, dollars. And, but yeah. So I don't know. Lira. Lira. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was another odd character where he would say one thing and then say the opposite. Yeah, and yeah. It, it and then there was the the stuttering guy in prison who's like, "So long." So long. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just it's random just odd like, people you know. In this. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's nice. It livens it up a little bit. It's not just definitely because it it could easily wind up being just like, you know, stale. Oh, I'm talking to this person now, and I'm talking to this person, and he just, you know, if it's played straight like it's just boring but each little actor is given or each little character is given an actor that is different and unique and kind of uh brings something something else how did you feel about morricone's score it's a good one i mean it's uh for me it really kind of boils down to like there are two main sort of pieces of mm-hmm. uh, music that I really like from it. One is the kind of like creepy, almost like lullaby type sounding song with the woman's voice, like kind of. Um, and then there's like a different version of that, which is a little faster tempoed. Uh, it plays during the end credits of it. A um, little the the arrangement's a little fuller um yeah both of those i, I really really enjoy and, and there's a lot of like abstract percussive yeah lots things of yeah. throughout action sequences which are really cool which is very uh common to marconi hmm. uh, his score it's interesting like he'll always try to find like i've noticed in a lot of his scores he'll find like one instrument that's kind of like unusual or like one element that in, that's like unusual and kind of like incorporate that into the score. In this, it's kind of like the woman's voice is sort of that sort of one element. Where sometimes she's like, you know, moaning and kind of uh, almost like a sexual, passionate kind of way. Um, and it's this element that you think like wouldn't work in the context of like a score, but uh, it often will work. You know, in like in Marconi, um, I guess I should say for people who maybe don't know, he's most famous for his uh, his work in the uh, spaghetti westerns with uh, Sergio Leone. Um, probably his most famous score is "The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly." It's that. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's always using these like interesting vocal elements and uh, just unusual instrumentation. The percussion stuff that you're talking about, mm-hmm. like during like the chasing, it almost sounds like you know, like it wouldn't, like it wouldn't work because it's so it's just random sort of drum hits all on top of each other. It's unnerving and it builds up the tension in the yeah. scene. I feel yeah. it's like it's hard. It's hard to just. <laughs> You know, it's hard to just like sit back and easily predict where a scene is going when you even you don't even know where the hell the score is going. Like, uh, <laughs> 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 
yeah, when all that kind of shit's going on. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Vittorio Storaro's cinematography? Yeah, he's he's the cinematographer. Um, when I was in uh, when I was at film school, um, we had a uh, in in our cinematography class. I can't remember if it was like it was. There was a group project, and I can't remember if everybody had a different cinematographer. I think it was yeah. Everyone had a different cinematographer, but I had Vittorio Storaro, um, so I had to make a presentation or a paper or something on uh, on his works. Um, I thought you were gonna say you had to like shoot something in the style of that cinematographer. Oh no, that would have been. Cool. <laughs> it was more about dissecting his. Uh, uh his style um but yeah i watched uh the conformist and um apocalypse now and uh tucker a man in his dream um i haven't seen tucker but the conformist and apocalypse now are gorgeous yeah really absolutely uh beautifully shot and the conformist came out the same year as bird of the crystal plumage and of course, that's Bernardo Bertolucci, who had worked with Argento on the story of uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't know. Did they write the the actual screenplay, or did they just come up with the story? Or I don't know. Of? I was just talking about Once Upon a Time in the West right, with, uh, with our Ryan. friend Ryan, um, who had just recently saw it, and he was like, "Yeah." In the opening credits, I saw like you know the the story, or it was written. He, the writing credits were, you know based on a story by Dario Argento, Bernardo Bertolucci, and Sergio Leone. And he was just, like, kind of, you know... It's, it's, it is cruel to think that, like, all three of them, like, collaborating on something. It's crazy. The microphone makes it look like you have a big black clown nose. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'll sit we up a just, little bit then. We just cut that part out there. Because <laughs> they um, can't see it, they'd be frustrated <clears throat> sorry but yeah this is uh plumage is early, is early on in uh, vittorio storaro's career as well um based on his imdb page anyway it looks like he's had he had a few films before but um this is probably like his first bigger kind of film i don't know much about him um it was a huge hit which is why it's like the start of the big Jollo era. Mm-hmm. Everybody started jumping on the bandwagon. Um, but it's interesting that like he didn't continue to collaborate with Argento. So I think this is the only one that he shot with him. I believe so. Um, because there, you know, the the style, the cinematography style, I feel like is more. It's almost more representational of Argento's style than it is of hmm. Storaro's, um, which makes sense. And it and it it's another thing that it's impressive for you know for a directorial debut to have that strong of a, of a vision for, you know, this is exactly how I want to see it. And I mean, you get that with all of his films. Yeah. Um, well, he'd he'd had the background in. You know, screenwriting. Like, he'd also written the screenplay for another Spaghetti Western, uh, Cemetery Without Crosses, and maybe another one, I'm not sure. Um, and he was also a film critic for an Italian magazine, so 
he was watching a lot of films and writing about them. So he was definitely keeping up with all the new trends that were happening mm-hmm. in world cinema at the time. I think I said that line like verbatim, like in like maybe the first episode or something, talking about Argento. Really? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe I was talking <laughs> with somebody else. That was that's, weird. That's funny. Um, it's interesting to think about like the, um, like last month when we were talking about American films in the seventies, how there were like these groups of people who were all kind of like connected and working together and they were just starting out. And then like in Italy, you've got Cargento and Morricone and Storaro and Bertolucci and they're all like Mm -hmm. working together as they're starting out and stuff. And, And it was really in the, in the seventies, there was this huge sort of massive influx of influence from Italian filmmakers in Mm. America. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how things kind of all happen all at once. One of the last shots in Godfather Part 2 is, like, from The Conformist, basically, where almost verbatim, where, like, the um, the camera is kind of, like, swooping across a yard with all these leaves on it, and the leaves are, like, blowing out of the way of the camera. Mm, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's, it's a, like, one of the first shots in The Conformist, I think, is one of the last shots in Godfather 2. <laughs> Um, and that makes sense because Francis Ford Coppola obviously worked with Storaro mm. um, on a few films, at least. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I just I see shots like the uh, in in plumage, looking down the uh, the spiral stairs when that girl is. Uh, oh, like the the vertigo shot, sort of. Yeah, the the other yeah, vertigo type shot. Um, Although it's weird that it's not it's not like a like a spiral spiral it's not round it's like it, these triangles yeah and that kind of like architectural element like yeah. feels very like Argento to me because any other there you see like that kind of shot in a lot of films where yeah, clearly it's, it's I mean, like an homage and yeah. it's either a circle or a square or something and Argento's like no I'm gonna make it a triangle <laughs> I'm gonna have it be just like a series of like, triangular staircases going up. And how he kind of blends, like, modern sort of architecture with, like, older style. Like, the art gallery is a good example of that, where you have this very sort of modern, like, glass um, building front, sort of like a storefront sort of glass window. Yeah. Um, that's, like, you know, electronically, you know, you can control it with this button that's, like, you know, it automatically closes, and it's, like, this seemingly advanced thing but like the the whole building is like i don't know it's got this infusion of like old style with like a new kind of style it's classic and modern at the same time and if and that kind of i feel like it defines his overall style in uh in a way where it feels like it's classic but it's also totally a modernized version of it how did you feel about um I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, the guy who played Sam, Tony Musante, maybe? He's American. Um, but I'm not... I'll say Tony Musante. I don't know. Uh, how do you feel about his performance? Because Argento hated him. Really? He said he would never... He said he and the lead in Tenebrae, Anthony Franciosa, he said they were the, his least favorite actors he ever worked with. He never wanted to work with either of them ever again. Hmm. Um yeah, that's um, it's kind of surprising because I mean I think Sam was a he's a very likable character. Mm. Um, 
and he's relatable and uh i thought his performance was just fine yeah i liked it I, I, well it was like a, i think it was just personal stuff more. right yeah um he wanted more help from argento as far as his acting went he wanted like um like his motivations and stuff like that and i know that um in tenebrae um i don't know about the exact circumstances of like on the set of tenebrae but um Tony Franciosa was from like the New York like method acting school, um, so he probably had similar things where he wanted he wanted to get a little more like direction from Argento than he was getting. And uh, Argento seems like one of those directors who would be like, "I want the shot to look this way, so you'll have to like face that way." Right. Like, have you have you watched I Confess yet? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, there's a scene in I Confess where, um... <laughs> Why does I Confess keep coming up? I don't know. Uh, Hitchcock wanted Montgomery Clift to look in a certain direction because the next shot that he was going to cut to from that shot would be at, like, a certain angle. Mm-hmm. So he said, like, all right, at the end of the shot, I need you to look, like, up and to the left or something. And he's like, I don't... Why would my character do that? Right. And he's like, because it has to cut to the next shot. <laughs> And Clift is like, no, 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 but why would I do that? And he's like, because it has to cut. What the hell are you talking about? And I could, I'm wondering if maybe Argento had similar problems with these actors. Right. I mean, because they both give great performances in these movies. And it's funny because, like, obviously Argento is hugely influenced by Hitchcock. Yeah. And that's no secret. I mean, he made a movie called Do You Like Hitchcock? <laughs> um, clearly he does. <laughs> and he's often referred to as the Italian Hitchcock. Um, and it seems like, yeah, that's interesting how they both have this thing with their actors where Hitchcock famously sort of, I don't know if hated is the right word, but like didn't care for the whole filming process of movie making um, and particularly working with actors. Like he, his philosophy was kind of like, well, you know, if you're good at your job, like I shouldn't have to tell you what to do. Right. You're an actor. Like it's in the script, like read the script and you know just do what's do what's there and uh he was more concerned with just like getting the camera to do what he wanted it to do and just like not really working with the actors in that way which obviously led to a lot of issues with with a lot of actors who just weren't used to working that way um so yeah it's funny that argento has that kind of problem as well but it seems like italian cinema it's it's different almost because like they they have this sort of idea that like oh you know like you're talking about how um uh fellini sometimes wouldn't even like you know just move your mouth and we'll fill in the words yeah. later you know they don't really like but he would still need like the eyes to have an expression and the right, emotion yeah. still needs to be there even if not the exact dialogue mm-hmm. um but it is this strange kind of like you know <laughs> the actors are there to be like molded. Yeah. I think you know, you brought up the whole notion of Italian Hitchcock. Um, I've never, I, I mean like, it's like, um, Brian De Palma, like Hitchcock always comes up in, in, uh, in discussions of De Palma where they're like, Oh, he's just always doing Hitchcock moves and stuff. And I think Argento is like the Italian, Brian De Palma, hmm. I think, because they both are like, 
Hitchcock and Antonioni, like those influences, I think show up throughout both of their because the, um, and they were kind of like more so contemporaries um yeah starting out in the in the 70s both being influenced by that previous generation of filmmakers in particular the hitchcock mm. yeah that's in, that's an interesting thing and, and they were both sort of like you know upping the violence upping the uh the visceral quality of it and there's um, a scene in have you seen dress to kill no. the de palma film um there's a murder in an elevator which there's a shot in it which is so similar to the elevator murder in Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Um, and clearly De Palma saw Argento films. And but there's also the notion of like um, uh, uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage and even more so Deep Red later on were influenced by Blow Up. And of course De Palma did Blow Out. Right. Which is like blow up plus Coppola's The Conversation equals De Palma's blowout. Um, where it just goes into like, I witnessed something, what was it? And it just like preys on the character's mind. Um, like it's, it's odd to put something, I'm not sure when they started calling Argento the Italian Hitchcock, but that that's a heavy weight to put on like a young director. I hope like for all I know, it was like right after this movie, like, yeah. Oh, he's the Italian Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. And, and then suddenly he has to live up to that. And like, I don't, I don't, um, I don't remember where I read it. I remember when I was writing my final paper, uh, for college, I wanted to, um, mention that Hitchcock had seen bird with the crystal plumage and that he, um, I'm not sure if I said he liked it, but it, he that he was like clearly this is like an impressive uh, new filmmaker, um, and I, I I didn't put it in the paper because I couldn't remember where I read it, and I looked through all my sources and everything, I couldn't find it anywhere, so I had to leave it out because I I might have imagined it or something. I know I read it somewhere, but I couldn't mm. find out where. Um, but then of course, like his next film in the early '70s is Frenzy, which is such a like a not it, I mean it's not necessarily like like in the style of a giallo but it's similar in like how like fresh and like young it feels when it's one of his it's his second to last film hmm. and it's almost like he saw like some of these like Italian films and was like I gotta step it up a bit they're catching up to me yeah I mean that's really that's the beautiful thing about just like artwork in general is how somebody can be inspired by the works of somebody else. And then that work will in turn inspire the person who inspired them. Yeah. It's just, um, that's the whole point of it really, I guess, is to like feed off one another and like find your, your energy in the things that others create and things that you can connect to. And it can break down the barriers between generations and, across years and it's 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 really it's it's fascinating and it's cool Mm. and of course it's you know it's very poetic i guess that's a lovely place to wrap it up do we have (laughs) anything else to say though (laughs) that was the bird with the crystal plumage what do we got next week next week we've got eyeball 
Eyeball. Eyeball. As in like I, comma, ball. Sort of like iRobot. Or maybe eyeball as in like the new Apple product. What would that be? What? <laughs> just re- replacing eyeball. physical sports altogether that just... Well, it's like an iPad, only it's a sphere. All right. Um, and eyeball does continue the tradition of having animal uh, titles. If you go by its original title, which is... Gatti Rossi in un labirinto di vetro. Red cats in a labyrinth of glass. But over here in the U.S., eyeball. <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's simpler. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun giallo. Um, it's not with the girl who knew too much and the bird with the crystal plumage and several others. Um, uh, especially from like the early period, um, y- you get a lot of like. Clearly, they were making films, thinking like we're making art, or we're making a well-crafted film. And what eyeball is is it's just this like sleazy, trashy, fun time. And there were a lot of those too, um, like uh, the French sex murders. Um, and uh, delirium, and black magic rites, and just, just, it's just fun, and that's why, um, well, I have the VHS of it, I think it's only available on VHS in this country, um, and uh, I'd like to watch it with, like, a group, because it's that kind of movie, and then, you know, we'll talk a little about, like, the different experiences of watching different kinds of movies, like... Because there are, there are certain movies where it's weird to watch with a group. And there's others where, like, you watch it and you're like, I gotta show this to my friends. <laughs> and they're the kind of movies that you just feel sad watching it by yourself. Yeah. But the whole time you're like, oh, man, if I had a bunch of friends here with me. <laughs> this would be so much fun. Yeah. But instead I'm sitting here watching Son of Godzilla all by myself at 3 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> why, am I, why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> So yeah, uh, Umberto Lenzi's eyeball is uh, coming at you. Cool. So yeah, thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. And I'm Tim. And we will see you next time. <laughs> I see what you're La 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 la